This is an ABC podcast. Gunfire rings out at a protest in West Papua as Indonesian forces drag a young man into a military truck. Protesters hit back with rocks and bottles. Dozens are arrested and taken away. Protests like this erupt virtually every year around December the 1st, the anniversary of West Papua's proclamation of independence from the Dutch that lasted only a few months till Indonesia invaded in the early 60s. Well, Indonesia has effectively banned foreign diplomats and the United Nations from visiting Papua as separatist unrest continues to challenge Jakarta's authority. The government says security concerns prevent it from allowing access to foreign embassies or its citizens wanting to visit the troubled Papua and West Papua provinces. Tensions between West Papua and Indonesia have been simmering for more than 50 years since West Papua was formally incorporated into Indonesia from Dutch rule. Violence has escalated in recent years, with deadly clashes between West Papuan and Indonesian security forces. Hundreds have been killed and local authorities say up to 50,000 Papuans have been displaced. A number Indonesia disputes, suggesting only 2,000 have fled. What we do know is that the impact on women has been particularly hard. Many have lost homes, others family members, they are witness to and victims of violence and they have little empowerment. Now, they're front and center of a freedom movement. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about the women of West Papua. To understand what life is like for women in West Papua, I need to give you a quick history lesson. Over the past few years, West Papuan pro-independence groups have been involved in a series of deadly and escalating clashes with Indonesian security forces. They are renewing decades-long push for independence. West Papua experienced only a few months of independence from Dutch rule in 1961 before it was invaded by Indonesia. But hopes were dashed again in 1969 when a UN-backed referendum allowed only 1,000 Papuans to vote to remain part of Indonesia. Since then, calls for independence have continued, which Indonesia rejects, saying the referendum was definitive. It has led to more deadly clashes. Very little is known what is happening in West Papua because foreign media has been kept out. But human rights groups claim up to half a million people have been killed over the 50 years. Resources have been stripped, land is being grabbed, and tens of thousands of people displaced through violence. And for our sisters in West Papua, women's rights advocates say they face even more oppression. Esther Aluk has seen first end this impact on women. She's a women's rights advocate a long-term member of the freedom movement, and she explains the layers of violence. The first one is the state violence, the structural one. Since the annexation of West Papua into Indonesia, we face this structural um, violence because of the many policies that implemented in West Papua. For example, 
the air security approach or the policy related to our life here, the development policy, we can say it's um, racialist because we are considered as a backward. We don't understand. Uh, we are from Stone Age uh, society. So they try to decide what is best for us. Since we become a part of Indonesia, it start from 1961 up to now, the use of uh, military operation here, it impacts on women very much because we live in fears. When we go to other like big city in, in, in Jayapura, you cannot see that. But the, the further we go into the area outside uh, the, uh, the big city, the life is very hard. And because of uh, West Papua, in West Papua, we have this patriarchal society. It becomes harder for women. Men are more important than women. So we are marginalized since an early age. And be, beside that, the third cause of the uh, violence happened to women in West Papua is the misinterpretation of the Bible related to women's position in society. It caused women to be like being ex- excluded. Esther Ahaluk doesn't paint a good picture of life in West Papua for women, does she? But women are marginalized in West Papua in all sectors of life because they do not contribute in making decisions. For example, uh, women have very strong relation with land because women take things from the nature to support family for food and everything. But now, because of the implementation of the different laws and land grabbing is happening now, there's a problem of ecocide and excessive exploitation of the land. It's putting women out of the land because men are selling the land without consulting with women because the new law that's implemented now in Indonesia, the omnibus law in 2020, it gives access to the central government to decide any investment, international or national investors to come to West Papua to like make a plantation So there's a problem of land grabbing that is happening now in customary land. It impacts more on women because women depend more on the nature to support families. Mm. Uh, And Esther, uh, the Asian Human Rights Commission in a report stated that uh, there were killings and tortured uh, Wamena in 1977 to 1978. Uh, So what was your experience like? My family have experienced that. Some of my family have moved to PNG. They crossed the border and then they live there right now. And from my parents' stories, they have to flee from their home and live in a jungle when when the uh, military operation happened in 1977. But from the stories that passed down from our um, parents or elders, It says there are several 
places around Wamina that become a mass grave. So we are just shown and then told about the things that happened around that time. I think it's really uh, influenced us because some of our family have to flee from their home and then leave to the other countries in uh, exile. It's, it's been quite a while, like you stated. Uh, it started since the 1960s and it's still ongoing. Uh, what do you hope to achieve? What do you want for your people? The longer we stay in Indonesia, we will be finished. There will not be any Papuan left. We, will, we, we are dying every day. We live in fear. The Indonesian can say everywhere they go, they, they say, oh, we are success in developing West Papua and um, improve the life of West Papua. I think to be fair, they have to invite uh, international community to come here to see that, to witness the truth about what they are saying. But for us, West Papua, we will, not, we will never stop fighting for our independence. As a West Papua, I say I represent what my other fellow uh, West Papuan expressing our deep feelings that it's better to live in our house, to live in our, on our land, to live in peace with our environment. If not, I'm, 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 I'm afraid about the, the future generation of West Papua. We will extinct on our own land, and I don't want that happen. As a woman, I have these feelings of protecting life, and I will, I will never stop fighting for that, fighting for the truth, and fighting for myself, my identity as a West Papuan. That's woman's rights advocate Esther Aluk speaking from West Papua. The move is certain to anger Indonesia, which has responded to previous calls for independence by sending more troops. In recent months, violence has escalated between separatist groups and Indonesian forces. A spate of shootings in recent weeks have killed people on both sides. But PNG's Foreign Minister Rimbik Pato is remaining firm on the government's position on West Papua. In a statement, he said... Papua New Guinea and the international community have long recognised and will continue to recognise the lawful sovereignty of Indonesia over its Papuan provinces. Australia, New Zealand and virtually all other Pacific Island countries recognise Indonesia's sovereignty, as has the United Nations. In the past month and a half, almost 6,000 Indonesian troops and police have been sent to Papua to crush any further unrest. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. The situation in West Papua has seen many women flee overseas, particularly those who have the means. One of the women who left is Wibinse Pigomi. She's from the highlands of West Papua and she fled the country. She now calls Perth in Western Australia home. Her family still lives in West Papua and she talks to them all the time to get updates. I'm actually feel sometimes guilt because my people, my family back home is not safe, as, as much safe, uh, safer and uh, with the life that I'm having in Australia. But, um, but you know, it's life that I have to live on and uh, fighting, fighting on and keep going and stay strong. That doesn't matter how difficult uh, life is here. 
So what are your family experiencing in West Papua at the moment? What are they telling you? Every day is getting worse and worse. And a um, lot of uh, military explosions in West Papua, in every part of uh, remote region of West Papua. People in villages now have to evacuate from their own home in villages and become refugee into nearby jungles without any support. And then um, military, they join forces in the Indonesian military and they join forces going right around in the village with uh, all the firearms and all the war equipment, you know. It's like they're going into the real wars against these uh, poor civilians which are without arms, simply because they want to take over West Papua. And it was reported by the Asian Human Rights Commission that there was a lot of killings in Wamena. Was your family impacted by this as well? Or what, what stories did you hear? Well, in Wamena, a lot of people become a refugee for, since five years ago, uh, especially in Dunga and some part of uh, other Dani tribes regions, you know, and um, in Yahukimo as well, you know, and then um, military like take over of uh, schools and hospitals and uh, community hall and churches and then turn them into military based and bend down all the uh, villages' houses, killing their, um, uh, you know, uh, animals that they they have in the farms and destroying their houses. And many of my families, and then not only my families, but uh, the whole West Papua is living in trauma because of this. And then there is no any international uh, support or attention, uh, especially when our own people is become asylum seeker in in our own home. One of the things happening is that women like Wewensi Pigomi, who have left West Papua, are now getting really vocal about the situation there. From thousands of kilometers away from their homeland, they have become a voice for their people, who they say have no voice. For goodness sakes, my grandfather fight for this Australian nation back in World War II. Now I'm actually asking Australian government to helping my people to to be free from every torture, inhuman killing. My people is dying. We can't keep silence about it. And my people relying on international communities and organization, human rights organization, to put pressure on Indonesian government. International community and Australian government is not, not done enough for my people to save my people's life, to save my generation and my future nation in West Papua. Thank you for sharing that. When was the last time you were back home in West Papua and do you hope to go home one day? Yeah, I had to go home to bury my mom in, 19, uh, in 2016. And Ricard Di Natale, at the time, the uh, Green uh, Party leader, has to be a migranto and write a, a letter that I will be watchful if I have to be in West Papua. So even though I'm going at home, I'm always being watchful. And then I'm not allowed to do, affiliate with any uh, youth or even socialize with my other family. Uh, and then I feel like I live in a prison. And then I, the intention of me going home is to go home to grieve and to bury my mom. That must have been really hard for you not to speak to your people. Yes, it's very hard. Very hard, but 
I have to be really grateful that I'll be able to say final goodbye to my mom in 2016 and then allowed to be there. And that was really, really hard because random intelligent, random military in uniform coming to my mom's schools and start asking questions and even coming to my mom's house. And then I have to con confront them a few times and my brother-in-law has to took that video when I'm confronting them, you know. Uh, but otherwise, you know, if you make wrong moves and then um, you will be out and then you, I don't know what your fate next. And then to be living in, uh, in your own home, not feeling safe, you fear of your, what your life will be like the next morning or who do you going to be confronted with the next morning. It's very hard. And then that's how my people and my family, or West Papuan people in overalls, especially in remote uh, community in Central Highland, they live their life with. And they have to putting up with uh, any uh, any abuses, any tortures, you know, uh, in every second of their life. Um, me here, sitting here, I'm always fearful if uh, I receive a phone call from home, who's a murder, who, who, like what bad news that I'm going to receive this time. We went to Pigomi, talking from Perth in Western Australia. They may be on one island, but it's a long way from Port Moresby to the Indonesian region widely known as West Papua. Despite that, West Papua is front of mind for many people in Papua New Guinea's capital. They're fighting for their freedom, so why don't we give it to them? It's a sad thing, just reading their stories like... All they're asking for is the freedom. Give it to them. It's not only diplomats who've been blocked. Foreign journalists are now also banned because of the sensitivities about international coverage of the long-running independence campaign. And Indonesia has gone to great lengths to silence online commentary on Papua, even outside the country. Last month, pro-independence separatists were accused of killing 28 people who were working at a state-owned construction company. The Indonesian military has since been accused of using chemical weapons in response, an allegation Indonesia denies. Paula Makabori is another West Papuan woman who fled the country and is now part of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua. She's also an international spokesperson for the West Papua National Coalition for Liberation. Paula has been living in exile in Melbourne for the past 16 years. She got stuck here after she visited Australia to deliver a lecture at Melbourne University with her children and was unable to return. She has been documenting human rights abuses. The last three years, since 2019 to 2021, the internal displaced peoples happened according to a media report that more than 60,000 IDPs have tried to find shelter in the temporary camp in the Middle Mountains, where among them, more than 3,000 already died of starvation, sickness, and then even the worst impact to the women and children. Some women were reported to give birth without medical access. And then the heavy uh, presence of the Indonesian security forces, as always, since they took place, the first step in West Papua until today is not changing. They always attack the people because everyone will be seen as West Papua Liberation's army member. This is the conditions where 
women and children and some ordinary men got stuck in the middle. You are living in exile. What else are you doing to bring this out and give a voice for your people? Living in exile in Australia is totally 180 degrees different conditions with their friends and people living in West Papua. Because here we can use our freedom to advocate the situations in West Papua to lift it up to the best human rights situations or conditions. Besides doing that, I also work to finance the struggle and my family. While you were fighting for freedom, um, mm-hmm. what sort of pressure do you face amongst uh, men in your community or in, in leadership in the campaign? For me, being in this struggle, it's a challenge for me because sometimes as a woman, the men surrounding you pretend that you're not there. That is a challenge that you need to show them with action and your skills that you can do things. And then by doing that, you prove yourself and then they will... Uh, See that yeah, you are capable in them. That is the big challenge, especially in these leaderships among the Pacific Islanders or Melanesian culture. Paula Makabori, executive member of the United Liberation Movement for West Papua, living in exile in Melbourne, Australia. Separatist groups in West Papua have announced a bold and provocative move to form their own provisional government in a formal rejection of Indonesian rule. A coalition of groups says it will appoint its own Prime Minister and Cabinet with a longer-term goal to hold a referendum for Papuans to choose whether they remain part of Indonesia or become independent. Indonesia has already rejected the move. It says a referendum in 1969 was definitive. Indonesia instead is proposing to extend the status of special autonomy for Papua currently due to expire next year, which at most would give Papuans greater rights to manage the region economically and politically. Groups like Benny Wenders reject special autonomy as any long-term alternative to independence. The recent violence has seen ethnic Papuans who largely support independence from Indonesia pitted against those they see as trans-migrants from other parts of the country. This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. When Black Lives Matter became an international movement in 2020, it inspired many indigenous minorities to speak out about systemic racism in their own countries. In Australia, some protesters wore the unofficial West Papua Morning Star flag, a symbol of resistance and independence from Indonesian rule. Paula Makabori's daughter, Cindy, took part in that movement. I was invited by the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance Group. So they're the ones that have been organizing the Survival Day protest. So I was invited by them to talk about West Papua because in this movement, West Papua is always being left out when we talk about black lives. And people don't know that there are black lives in the Pacific. And so it was just such an honor for me to be up there talking on behalf of my Papuan brothers and sisters who are not voiceless, but their voices are being silenced. And so to amplify the systematic and institutionalized racism that's been going on in West Papua, it was such a privilege and honor for me to be able to do that. Uh, How did you first got to learn that there's so much abuses and human rights abuses going on in West Papua? So it's mostly through mom's work. 
when I was little, you know, obviously with mum, with her involvement, we always have Indigenous Papuans over at our house or mum always driving and we'll be in the car and visiting Indigenous Papuans, pick up victims. So, you know, my life has always revolved around our people and mum's work. So that's how I sort of have an idea of about what's going on in the country. And how safe do women feel in West Papua? West Papua is, uh, like many <laughs> Melanesian countries, a very patriarchal society. So women's voices, more than often, are silenced. But I think we've seen not a more progress, but I guess there's little progress now. I could see it from my mom being the only woman in the UMWP organization as an executive leader, she's the only woman representing the women of West Papua. So that in itself tells you how we still need progress in regards to women's voices, um, mm. whether it's politically or in, the, in West Papua itself. And what made you move to Australia? Uh, I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> so I came here, stuck here, living in exile by <laughs> association because of my mom. Mom was invited by Melbourne University to talk at the Asia-Pacific Conflict Resolution Workshop. My brother and I thought that it was just a little holiday, that we're just going to go to Australia for a bit. But then turns out that the Indonesian intelligence at that time named mom as the mastermind of the 43 West Papuan that flew to Australia in 2006. Since then, mom had advices from friends here in Australia and in West Papua telling her that it's not safe to go back home. So for nearly 16 years now, 16 in March, we've been living in exile in Australia. You said earlier your society is patriarchal, but do you see young women like yourself and more women speaking up for human rights issues in West Papua? Absolutely. And I've seen that also, you know, being a young person myself, I'm on social media and I see all these young Indigenous Papuan women standing up and speaking out and not being afraid anymore, which is amazing to see because before this whole Black Lives Movement happened, there were so many fears in West Papua about speaking up about our people and our lives. But then there's been, you know, trending that Papuan lives matter. So you see these young generations of women speaking out about how they do not feel safe in their own country and how the system is against them in their own country. As a young West Papuan living away from home, what would you like to see happen? I would just like to see the momentum going for West Papua. I think it's important, especially the women's voices, those that are fighting on the front lines, but also internationally. I think women's voices, we have so much power. <laughs> we, we make things happen. By having women on the front lines, Telling how it is in their perspective, it's very important. Cindy McEnboro is one of a growing number of young women living in exile, but still carrying the torch for West Papuan independence. I have been so honored to speak with these strong, brave women from West Papua. They face so many barriers, fighting for independence from Indonesia, fighting a patriarchal society, both leaving them more vulnerable to violence. And on top of that, both systems 
see them shut out of economic independence. But these women are incredible. They're taking center stage in the independence movement. Esther Aluk remains in West Papua, while her sisters Wibinse Pigomi and mother and daughter Tim Paula and Cindy Magabori live in exile in Australia. Let's hope that there will be a resolution to stop the fear and violence. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is sistas at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, how not to date your cousin. So I swiped right. Nothing serious, just getting to know, blah, 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 laughing and whatnot. After three days, he messages me and he goes, oh, is this your last name? Soon as he said my surname, I exited the chat. I went straight to my sister and I said, who is this person and how are we related to them? That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Melissa Makin. Our supervising producer is Inga Stunzner. Executive producer is Justin Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. And that's all. Now, next time.